Amen. Thank you, Melissa. Will you get your Bibles out, please, and open to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. You'll find that on page 1351 in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, it would be helpful for you. Just grab that Bible in front of you there and open to 1351. You'll find the book of Philippians. Now, we are studying our way through the book of Galatians, which is the book that precedes Philippians. And we came to the place in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, he doesn't talk about the fruits of the Spirit. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he gives us nine attributes of the character of Christ that we are to uh, have in our own lives as followers of Christ. And so we have talked about love and we talked about joy. This morning we talk about peace. We'll look at the peace in the puzzle in our study of the nine, the nine fruit of the Spirit, the peace in the puzzle, Philippians chapter 4. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning as we talk about such an important, weighty subject that so many of us need to know what God has to say today with regards to peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us an opportunity to be together and to gather around your perfect word. Thank you for this word that's before us now. We receive it as the perfect, inerrant gift that you've given, intended for us, Lord. We understand and know that you're speaking to us through it. And Father, we pray today that you'll give us ears to hear that you might speak into our hearts and change us today for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Now, just like the other fruit of the Spirit that we've talked about, peace, it's going to take a little decompressing before we can start talking about God's idea of peace because the world is sort of implanted in us a very confusing idea of what peace is and uh, just jumbled up uh, so much in our minds that we have a hard time even really... This morning, I recognize that starting out, there's probably 500 different definitions of what peace is. But let's just start by agreeing that all of us have a desire for peace. And none of us, none of us think that this world is as it's supposed to be in its current state. There's a place inside of us, just our experience in life, whether we know Christ or whether we believe in God in any form or fashion, anyone who spent any time living in this world would recognize that there simply is something wrong and things are not the way they ought to be. And certainly peace seems to be very elusive. Now, one of the ways that this is real apparent to us is that think about the times in your life where I mean, everything was just perfect. I mean, you had planned and you had strategized and you had put all the pieces together so that you could sort of orchestrate this perfect moment in your life. Has there ever been times like that for you? For me, as I thought about this, I thought about times where, for example, uh, me and my family would get an opportunity to go on vacation. And when you're a, when you're a pastor... Vacation is a loose term. You know what I mean? It's uh, vacation for me is maybe that's why I leave the country so much. 
there's no vacation. If there's a cell tower near me, there's no vacation. It just That's just the way it goes. And so several years ago when my kids were small, boy, it was just a time in my life where I felt like I was just so burned out and just really needed a break. And so we packed up our children. They were small then. You know, we load up our kids and we take off to Florida. And, and sometimes, you know, just some time at the beach will just do what I need done, just to sit at the beach and hear the waves and just look out over the ocean. And so we drove all the way to Florida. We were going to go to the east coast of Florida, and we were going to an area of Florida where we'd never been before. We were real excited about that. But, man, that was a long journey with small kids. And so, you know, the whole way there, it's this never-ending litany of he touched me, she touched me, I've got to go to the restroom, then as soon as that's over with, I'm thirsty, then I've got to go again, then we just keep going around. So we finally get to Florida, we finally get there, and we, we check into our hotel room, and I'm so excited just about spending some time on the beach, and it's about maybe 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I said, honey, why don't, let's go, before the sun goes down, let's just go take a walk on the beach, so... Me and Lisa and the kids, we, we go and we're, we're walking on the beach. And I mean, we, oh, just in that moment, the seagulls were fluttering around and I could just feel the stress just melting off me like everything was going to be great. And then one of my children inadvertently sort of stepped in front of Lisa onto her toe, which made this loud snapping sound. And I knew. I heard the bone break. And she hit the deck and started writhing in pain. And I looked down and her toe was facing sideways. There went my peace. It was gone. And the rest of that vacation was spent, you know, me helping my wife hobble around with her broken toe that we, you know, managed to tape together to try to hold everything together. And it's just never ending. You know, you finally get to this place you want to, you've always wanted to go and then it rains. You, you, you finally, you finally, you know, get the job you always wanted to have and then suddenly the company sold. You, you finally get your, your, your house finished. And then a hurricane comes. I mean, there's always something. And, and, and peace, it just is fleeting. And, and the reason we know that it's so hard to, to grab a hold of is that we recognize that no matter how hard we try to orchestrate the events in our life, no matter how hard we try to manufacture or find a place of peace, even when we do, it simply won't last. Even in the small things. You think about times where you're having this wonderful conversation with somebody you love and it's just fantastic and you're spending time together, but you realize that that conversation is going to come to an end. And if you try to keep it from coming to an end, you're going to ruin it. It's no longer going to be wonderful. That you can't control the mood that your boss is in on Monday. You can't control the mood that your spouse is in. You can't control when you're going to lose your keys. You can't control whether or not somebody's going to steal your identity. 
You see, there may be peace in a moment, but you don't, but, but just around the next corner, just in the next second, here comes something that's going to disrupt and remind you that we're not in control. And you see, the, the world tries to define peace in certain ways that sort of leads us astray and puts us on a path where all we can really ever do is be defeated. Some, sometimes we, we think of peace just in terms of the absence of war, but that's really a terrible definition. And anybody who thinks about that for any amount of time realizes that's not true because the absence of war doesn't bring peace because you always know there's the ever-present threat of war breaking out. So just because there may not be war in the moment, you, there's no peace because you don't know what's around the next corner. I think the world uses things like harmony. Some people feel like if there's a sense of harmony in a world of hostility, that there's peace. That Some of you in here this morning would equate peace to harmony amongst the relationships of the people that you care most about. And somehow you think that if some way, somehow, you can get everyone just to get along... Everyone that you love will just get along and, and, and stop bickering and stop fighting with each other that there would be peace. Some of you think that peace will come through order. And so you are relentlessly trying to put all the pieces of your life in order. You are always ordering things according to a certain plan. You can't stand it when anything is out of order because that attacks your peace and you know that it's a, it's a losing battle. And so you obsessively and compulsively try to keep things in order and it relentlessly works against you. And your work is never done. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how late you stay up, the next day, things are back out of order again. And you're right back where you started. Maybe some of you, it's just an issue of control. If you can just, peace comes if you can just feel like you've got control over some things that are going on around you. Just some, if, if I could just have control over these certain things, then I would be peaceful. And you know, all of us in this room are, are control freaks in one way or another. Some of us in this room want to be in control. And so we, we're trying to always pursue having control over things. And then the others in the room are rejecting anything that seeks to control you. And so control just causes this huge disconnect and dissatisfaction in our heart. But you see, the problem is whether it's harmony or order or control or somehow there's going to be a sense of fullness and the emptiness of this world. However, however you might think about peace, none of that works. And here's why. Because according to who? Control over things according to whose standard? Harmony in relationships according to whose standard? In other words, just because you think that you know how things ought to be, that's not going to bring peace because you're not the authority. And I'm not the authority. So what we need to know is 
What is real peace? What is the peace that the Bible talks about? The peace that comes only from God? What is that peace? Well, the Hebrew word is shalom. When the Bible talks about shalom, the Bible is talking about a peace that's very different from the peace that we hear about in the world. Shalom is the way that things are meant to be according to God. That's that's a simple way of understanding shalom. Shalom is that you're just at peace because things are the way God, that that's what God intended. And so when 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 man was created in the Garden of Eden, he, he was in shalom. There was shalom, but the word is, is a complex word. It's If we just say in English, well, that just means peace, then we don't really get the full meaning. We won't really understand how to get to what we're looking for. The word denotes an absence of something and a presence of another thing. In order to have peace, in order for things to be as God has intended them to be, certain things are absent and certain things are present at the same time that create peace. So let me help you understand shalom. Shalom equals the absence of conflict plus the presence of confidence. Now, not just any conflict and not just any confidence, but it's the absence of conflict with God that the first step in understanding what shalom is is to understand that apart from peace with God, there can be no shalom. But once there's peace with God, then there can come confidence in the God whom you have peace with. And when those two things come together, then you have what the Bible describes as true, perfect peace. So maybe we could say it this way. Shalom is peace with God that makes possible peace from God. That because of the peace with God, we're able to have peace from God in this life. That's the, that's why it's so elusive. That's why it's, it's like this rare animal that, you know, you have to sit in on the side of a mountain for weeks on end with this giant camera and this super long telephoto lens at just the right time of year waiting for, you know, this rare species to poke its head out so you can snap a picture of it. Even in the body of Christ, there's so many who live their lives day in and day out professing a knowledge of Jesus Christ and yet their life is void of peace. And so what we've got to do this morning is we've got to just be honest with ourselves. You've got to be honest with yourself. How are you doing in the peace department? According to God's definition of peace. Let's look at the first half and then we'll spend our time in Philippians 4 looking at the second half. We'll get to Philippians 4 in a moment. But let's look first at the first half of Shalom, peace with God. Now, the Bible is going to teach some astonishing things about peace with God. Things that that even in a setting like this, sometimes seem a little politically incorrect or, or, or harsh to digest, but nonetheless, the Bible makes no bones about it, 
Apart from God, shalom cannot be experienced or achieved. There's, there's no way in our own strength and in our own power and our own, our own intellect we can bring ourselves to a place of shalom. It's impossible. So therefore, if you're not living the way God wants you to live, there can be no peace. There can be no peace. It's either God's way to peace or no peace. Now that, well, that seems kind of simple because then my response to that might be something like, well, then I'm just going to start living the way God wants me to live. And if I start living the way God wants me to live, then I'm going to experience the peace that God wants me to have. Now, on the surface, that makes sense. But here's the problem. You can't do that. You can't just decide that you're going to live the way God wants you to live because you don't have the power to do that. Now you're beginning to see this is why some of you here this morning, you feel like you're sliding off a cliff. And that no matter how hard you try to claw your way back up the cliff, you can't seem to make any headway. You, you take a few steps forward, but then you slide back down. And it's just this never-ending battle. You wake up in the middle of the night, Your mind is racing with all the things that are wrong, all the things you don't have a solution for. If you could maybe just focus on one thing, you might be able to get through it, but then there's ten other things around it. And every time you try to move in one direction, something blows up around that, and it's just this never-ending catastrophe in every single direction, over and over and over. And maybe, just maybe, the reason for that is that You're trying to live the way God has intended for you to live in your own power. You see, you Christianity is filled with people who know what they ought to do. They know what they should be doing. And they think, well, I know I I should be doing that. And I know that God wants me to do that. And everything's blowing up around them and there's no peace in their life. But they can never seem to get there. They can never, they never seem to be able to accomplish the things that they know. And even, it's even the little things. It just seems like everything is wrong day after day after day. Why? Well, well, let me just get a little elementary with you for a second. Maybe the problem is sin. I mean the presence of sin. I mean that you're not at peace with God. So you're trying to get to the peace from God, but you don't have peace with God. And you can't jump over peace with God and get to peace from God. See... Here's how people tend to think about sin. We tend to think of sin as deliberately bad behavior. How does that sound to you? Well, that's wrong. It sounds sensible. It sounds logical. But it's wrong. Sin at its core, according to the Bible, is neither deliberate or behavioral. Yes, Both of those things are part of the equation, but at its core, that's not what sin is. The Bible teaches that sin is slavery. It's 
slavery, that you and I were born into bondage to sin. And that's why when you don't have peace with God, you feel so powerless to everything that's going on around you because sin in the life of someone who doesn't have peace with God is like gravity. You're just in it. And you can't escape it. You can't thwart it. You can't get away from it. It's just all over you. Everywhere you go and everything you do, there it is. You see, sin is so much deeper than the choices that we make or the actions that we perform. Notice what Paul says when he's teaching us about sin. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says in verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you see, when you were not at peace with God, when you had no peace with God, you were a slave of sin. That means you were in bondage to it. You, you had no freedom. You didn't have the freedom to escape it. You had to do what sin said because you were in bondage to it. It was your master and you were its slave. But Paul says, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? You see, when you look, when you look at all the things that you're powerless against, when you look at all of the broken decisions and the, the, the wreckage of your past and you look back at all that, well, what fruit is in all that? What benefit was all that? All the things that you tried to do in your own strength and your own power, of what good are they? And here's what Paul says, for the end of those things is death. You see, death, it's a lot more than a bad decision, isn't it? Yeah. It's death, the Bible says. We were slaves to sin, which is death. Sin is a compulsive, instinctive, irresistible network of attitudes and beliefs and behaviors that are at odds with God and are now fundamental to the human condition because of the fall in Genesis 3. It's not bad behavior. It's fundamental to the human condition. And so as the Apostle Paul is teaching us in Romans, he's given us some, some theological understanding about the nature of man and sin. He gets to Romans 7 and he makes this statement about himself and his own struggles. And he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there is no... Peace. There can be no peace. Peace will never, shalom will never, ever in a billion years exist in the life of a person who is not at peace with God. If you are his enemy, peace will never, ever enter your life. Because you're at war with God and you are a slave to sin. Now let me let me just use the storyline of Scripture to illustrate this to you. What does God do? I mean, Paul just says, Oh, wretched man, who's going to deliver me from this? Oh, thank God for Jesus Christ. It's going to come through Jesus Christ. But how did this happen? Well, God created us. 
to live in shalom with Him and each other. He put us in creation that was undefiled. And, and man lived at peace with creation and at peace with one another and at peace with Him. And there was shalom all around us. And that's what God intended. That's the way He, uh, he made it to be. But we then, we being humanity, we, through Adam, we wanted to pursue a different peace. We had a better idea about peace. We thought we could make our own peace apart from God. So in essence, what we wanted to do is be our own God. And therein is the beginning of the problem. Because what happens is, as soon as sin enters the camp, we decide we want to be our own God. And we put ourselves in a position we were never intended to be in and trying to accomplish something we never, ever were intended to accomplish. You see, we can't be God. You can't control the universe. You can never be God. The idea that we could be our own God, of course there's not going to be any peace in that. You talk about, you think you're overwhelmed. Why don't you just try to be God for about a millisecond? See how good that goes for you. And you see, peace is gone when sin enters because we've chosen to go our own way to make our own peace. So, that very sin in that very moment made us enemies of God. Which means the first half of Shalom no longer exists because we're not at peace with God. We're His enemies because we've chosen to do things our own way. We've decided that we're going to live according to our own standards. We're not going to live according to the way that He says we ought to live. And so the Old Testament from there forward is the story of a God who sets out to make peace with His enemies. And He relentlessly pursues Mankind, beginning with Abraham, he comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him that and he says he's going to create a people through whom peace will come to all the world. And so God moves Abraham. He he begins to establish a people through Abraham. That people grows and becomes its own people. And then God settles them where? Jerusalem. The city of peace. Because that's what God's attempting to do. But God's plan was not just to make peace with this certain people. His plan was to continue, therefore, that He would be able to make peace with all the world. And so through this work with these people who now live in the city of peace, as He begins to work in their life, He's establishing a a plan in the future where He's going to make peace with all people. And so the prophet Isaiah comes on the scene. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now understand, this is 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah is prophesying that 700 years from now, one is going to come and he's going to be the Prince of Peace. Why? Because humanity is at war with God. And God is going to reconcile himself to mankind through this Prince of Peace. He's going to bring peace. And so the only way to peace is through him. If there was any other way, certainly God wouldn't slaughter his own son. But we know 
There's no other way. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's how peace comes. So God's answer to people who are hopelessly separated from peace is His Son, Jesus. You see, I can't say anything about peace in the life of a believer until you get this loud and clear. This morning, in this moment, you have got to understand that there can be no peace apart from salvation. Next, you need to understand that there will be no peace apart from assurance. And so for me to talk this morning to you about peace, we just have to be honest that there's people in here that are all over this spectrum. Some of you cannot have peace because you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you will not have peace because you have no assurance of where you stand with Jesus Christ. Then and only then can we move from peace with God to peace to God. You've got to have peace with God. You must be at peace with God. It is absolutely essential. There's no way to have peace from God. No way. So if you're here this morning and you're just so tired and you're so worn out, And you've just been clawing and scratching and trying and striving. And it's just like a a brick wall in every direction. Are you at peace with God? Or are you, when I say that, do you just begin to play this mental game of gymnastics in your mind and you start, you immediately go back to some time and place and some decision that you made or something that you did or something. But I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you if you if you've ever attempted to make peace with God. I'm not asking you if you ever made some sort of decision about peace with God. I'm asking you, are you at peace with God this morning? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Or are you just Are you just playing this game? Are you terrified? Are you terrified of the thought of just saying, Pastor, I'm lost. I've been in church all my life, but I'm lost. Why are you so afraid of that? Why? Who do you think is making you afraid? Do you think that's God? The sheer fact that you know you're not His this morning is His grace coming to bear on your life. Now, what about those of you who are just sinking in the quicksand of doubt? You say, I think I'm saved. Some days I really feel like I'm saved. Then other days, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. Then listen, you, you need to understand something. That problem right there must be dealt with. 
before anything else is going to happen in your life. There's not going to be any peace where there's no assurance. Now, the Bible says all over it, for example, in 1 John, John says that I've, the reason we've said all these things is that you may know, that you may know that you belong to God, that God's not playing a game of hide and seek with you. If anyone has ever in the history of the universe wanted you to know for sure that you were his, it is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. That's who wants you to know. So the same one that's making some of you petrified of making the greatest decision you could ever make is making others of you in here confused about whether or not you really belong to Him. And therefore, peace, even in the body of Christ, becomes elusive. so many hearts in here filled with anxiety, filled with stress, filled with trepidation about things in, the, in, in, in your future that may or may not even happen. You're already stressed out about it. You're already worried about it. You're already... Things you have no control over. And they're just beating you down. And you can't even control them. And this anxiousness that just builds up inside of you. And there's just no peace. Okay, so the first part of shalom is peace with God. Let's talk about peace from God. Philippians 4. The context of the book of Philippians. These are very familiar passages. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time here. They're going to they're gonna tell us exactly what we need to know in a very simple and straightforward manner and fashion. But understand this. Paul is writing the book of Philippians, from a Roman prison. So he's in the worst possible circumstances he's writing. He's writing to a group of people that are filled with anxiety. They're anxious about a lot of things. One of which is is that they're Christians in in Philippi. And so that makes them a little uh, uncomfortable. And, and, And there's Roman occupation all around them. And Philippi is located on the outskirts, so it's vulnerable to marauders and to be attacked and taken over. And so there's danger all around them. But Christ has come and brought the good news of salvation to them, but their hearts are filled with anxiousness. And so Paul writes in Philippians 4, let's begin in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's talk about this for a moment. Look at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Understand, he doesn't say rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. He says not just rejoice in anything or rejoice anywhere. He's very specific and strategic about what he's saying. He says rejoice in the Lord always. 
You see, if you're not at peace with God, you can't rejoice in the Lord. You don't rejoice in your enemies. You don't rejoice in something or someone that is against you. And you know that. But when you have peace with God, you rejoice in the Lord. And that's why he can say, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul's sitting in prison. Let me tell you some things not to do with regards to this command to rejoice. First of all, don't wait on things to change. Paul doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things change, when things get better. He's sitting in prison. Things are horrible for him. If anyone doesn't know what the next moment holds, it's him. And yet he's saying rejoice always. You don't wait. Once you have peace with God, you don't wait on things to change to rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in the Lord. The second thing you don't do is you don't expect others to do this for you. You don't look around and think that being around joyful people is going to make you rejoice because you're around joyful people. You have to bring joy to the joy party. In fact, just going to tell you that if you don't bring joy to the party, what you're really going to do is suck the joy out of the rest of us. No one else can rejoice for you. We can, we can rejoice in you and with you, but not for you. So don't wait on things to change. Don't expect other people to do it for you. And don't mistake Paul's command as being intended to be an occasional practice. That's why he says, again, I will say rejoice. Because he's already said that it's in the Lord and it's always. He's already given us the qualifications of this rejoicing. It's in the Lord and it's always. It's not occasional, it's always. Then he goes on in verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. Or maybe your Bible says reasonableness. That's a very complex word in the Greek. We don't have a good English word to translate it. It, it, it can mean gentleness or mercifulness or tolerance or leniency. It's, it's, it's a person who who has an understanding about the way things actually are, so they're not panicking. They don't panic all the time. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And let your, your calmness, let your reasonableness, let, let your steadiness be known to all men. Because a person who's rejoicing in the Lord is not somebody who just panics at every little thing. You have... You have gentleness. You see, you're not gentle. When everyone is walking around you on eggshells, you're not gentle. They're just waiting for you to snap as something changes. And, and so what Paul's saying in these first two verses is he's, he's commissioning us to take our eyes off ourselves and to focus upward, to look towards God. To let other people see that we're not a people driven by what's happening right before us, but we're driven, we're driven by the God who dwells within us and above us. And we look to heaven. We look to what we know will one day be our certain and for sure future to guide us and to give us some reasonableness. Why? Look at what he says next. Because the, the Lord is at hand. Now, now he doesn't mean he doesn't mean that that the Lord is coming back soon, although he is, 
But what he's driving at is that he's at hand. He's with you. He's here. Well, what are you, what would you be panicking about? You're not alone. You have peace with God. If you have peace with God, the Bible says that God is now with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So what is it that you're panicking about? What is it that you're so afraid of? That He's right beside you in the midst of what you think is going to overwhelm you or overtake you. He's with you. He's at hand. He's right there. He's never left you. He's never forgotten about you. And He never will. So therefore, in light of that reality, be anxious for nothing. Verse 6. What would you be anxious for? He's with you. You have peace with Him. Therefore, He will give you peace from Him. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Listen. If you... If you don't have peace with God, then how is this going to work? You're not going to rejoice in God because you're an enemy with Him. You're, you're not going to... You, you can't say, well, the Lord is at hand because He's not at hand. He's not with you because you're at enmity with Him. That you've chosen to spurn your nose at God and go your own way and, and seek your own peace. But if you are in Him, then there's nothing to be anxious for and you... Come to Him and you pray to Him and you seek His face. And what happens through prayer and supplication? Let your requests be made known to God. Listen, you. when He says be anxious for nothing, He's saying, don't worry, pray. Don't worry, pray. And Paul's going to give us a description of, of what this shalom looks like in the life of someone who has peace with God. He says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Hmm. What does that mean? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. In other words, this peace, this shalom, is not, is not something that makes sense in a, in a human capacity or in a human realm. It's supernatural, if you will. It's as if... Wherever I go and whatever I do, no matter what's going on around me, I feel the smile of God upon my back. It's as if Paul is penning this from a Roman prison, chained to a soldier, and yet he knows that God is smiling upon him. And he says, you see, that's shalom. It passes all understanding that that guard cannot yet understand what it is that makes you so different. How does a person have peace in a situation like you're in? You see, but Paul understands. He understands that the smile of God is upon him. He penned Romans 8, the famous words that neither death nor life nor angels and principalities or powers or things present or things to come, no height, no depth, no thing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think that qualifies. I think that whatever your circumstances or whatever your situation is, I'm pretty sure that you can't find a loophole in Romans 8, 38 and 39 to squeeze it in to make the, that to say, Pastor, this is going to separate me from the love of God. This is going to put me in a situation where although I'm at peace with God, his smile is not upon me. That, that's impossible. 
You see, it's not a natural peace. It's supernatural in every way. And so then he says something fascinating. He says about this peace that passes all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, again, I told you that Philippi is a city located on the outskirts. And so in a, in a lot of sense, it's a, it's a city that since its establishment was always vulnerable to attack. Well, when the Romans conquered Philippi, what they did was they established a garrison in the center of the city. In other words, they built a fort, a post, a, a military fortress in the center of the city of Philippi. And they used, and the reason they did that was because they knew that it was a city that was vulnerable and they wanted to protect that which they had conquered. And so they put a garrison in the center of it so that people would not be able to attack it or take it because of their presence in the center of the city. So it was known as a garrison city. Because of the presence of the the always present Roman soldiers who were there. So there's this body of troops stationed at a fortified place in the center of that city. Do you know what word Paul uses when he talks about the peace that passes all understanding? Look at verse 7. He says about this peace, he says it will garrison your hearts. He's telling a people who live in a city occupied by a garrison of soldiers that protect them every single day. He said similar to that, that God is going to garrison your heart. Meaning that you're safe, your heart is safe because it's being protected. It's always being protected. And like the city, it's being protected from Within. It's not protected from the outside in, it's protected from the inside out. Which is very important to understand, you see, because security with regards to Philippi or with regards to you and your experiencing peace from God does not come from the removal of the dangers that are around you. Don't you understand that the Romans didn't didn't do away with everything around Philippi that could possibly cause it harm? What they did was they put something in the middle of it that could defend it against any harm that may come, which is exactly what God did to you and exactly what God did to me. He doesn't take away everything in your life that may be dangerous. He doesn't take away everything that could stress you out or make you anxious. He doesn't take away everything you don't understand or can't predict. He puts something in you someone in you, himself in you. He protects you from the inside. But what he put in you is more powerful than anything that's without you. So you don't have to worry about it. You're garrisoned. Your heart is garrisoned by the warrior Jesus Christ. This world has no enemy, has no answer. It cannot be thwarted. So don't be anxious, Paul says. I'm in a Roman prison. Chained to a guard. And I'm telling you, don't be anxious. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You're garrisoned because Jesus Christ is in you. See, difficult times are going to come. It's just part of it. They're going to come in waves. They're going to come consistently. They're going to come big. They're going to come small. They're going to come in ways you might expect it and ways you don't. That's just life. 
life in a broken world, but your heart in Christ has been garrisoned. Please hear this. This is why Paul then transcends his thinking in verse 8. And he brings us now to this place where he says, Finally, finally, brethren, finally, my brothers and sisters, finally, you who've been garrisoned by Jesus Christ. You who should not be anxious. You who are not at the mercy and the whim of your circumstances. He says, finally, my brethren, sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Notice he doesn't say, get out your weapons, fortify your houses, rally the troops. He says, meditate on these things. He said, your heart is garrisoned. And so what you need to be doing, oh, anxious brother, anxious sister, meditate on the things of God. Because what you need is confidence. Hear me. We started this discussion seeking shalom. We first had to hurdle the first half, which was peace with God. Remember, shalom is the presence of something in the absence of another. Or the absence of conflict in the presence of confidence. Do you know how you get confidence? You know what you do when the conflict has been removed, but you don't have confidence? You meditate on the things of God. You can't have confidence in something you don't know. You can't, you can't have confidence in something you don't understand. You meditate on the things that are, that are noble and just and pure and true. And your heart will be filled with confidence. It will fill that place that's now empty because the conflict has been removed. You're no longer a slave to sin. You now have the Spirit of God within you. And so you meditate on these things. Ask yourself this question. If you don't have peace and you don't have a devotional life, are those two things related? If you're not picking up your Bible, And opening it up and meditating 
on the things of God, how in the world do you ever expect to gain confidence in the person of God? No wonder, no wonder someone in one breath can say, Pastor, I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved. And in the very next breath can say, but I don't see God doing anything in my life. Really? To which I say, that's impossible. It's not impossible that you don't see it. It's just impossible that it's not happening. So I can solve that mystery in five seconds. I say, well, let me ask you a question. How's your devotional life going? How often do you read your Bible? Well, that's why you don't have any confidence. Because you're trying to recognize something you've never seen. You're, you're looking for something you don't even know what it looks like. Paul says, don't be anxious. Rejoice. Rejoice. Pray. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts. Meditate on these things. Isaiah 26, verse 4, an amazing passage. The Bible says of God, capital Y, you, O Lord, will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Who will you keep in perfect peace? Who is it that will be in perfect peace? Whose mind is stayed on you, the scripture says, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord for in Yah. Yahweh God, the Lord, is everlasting strength. He is the rock of ages, that says in the Hebrew. He will keep you in perfect peace. You whose mind is stayed on Him. Meditate on these things. Brothers and sisters, there can be no peace from God. None. Until you have made peace with God. Is today the day you finally raise the white flag? You finally surrender. Enough is enough. Psalm 55 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and He shall sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. Make peace with God and He will put peace within you. What fruit, what fruit have been produced by all of the things that we're so ashamed of? Only death. Only death. Shalom. Peace with God. And peace from God. That's what perfect peace is. May it be. May it be. A defining mark. In your life. Would you stand and bow your heads and close your eyes.
Father, as we consider how it is we're to respond to what you have spoken to us, Lord God, I pray that you will embolden us to respond to you. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name, in His power and by His authority, that you will set the captives free this morning. That the Prince of Peace would rule in our hearts. That Lord God, those who are not at peace with God this morning would would raise the white flag and surrender. God, that in this moment you will, as they are reeling in their mind, that you will just press into them the reality that they're never going to win the battle they're fighting. That the chaos that constantly surrounds them is only going to continually get worse. Because you love them so much, you will never stop pursuing. Lord, may this be the day that they cast their burdens on you. And that they begin to realize what it's like to live with you sustaining them. God, I pray that you would garrison the hearts. The hearts of those who are shrouded in doubt. That know there are things that you're dealing with them about, Lord God, but the, the, the war just rages. That like a mighty army, you'll give them the courage to defeat that doubt this morning by taking a stand for you. Whether it be by baptism, whether it be by planting their life here in this church, whatever it is, Lord God, help us to see that the quicksand of doubt will just suck the joy completely out of our lives. Father God, set us free to the assurance that we're protected from within. That yes, we're surrounded every day and every moment by a million different enemies. But greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you. May peace reign in our hearts for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name. The altar's open. I invite you to come.